Welcome to HR Latte, your podcast connection to all things HR. Caring for people is imperative for today's progressive business. Listen in as Rayanne Thorne Kruger gets personal with practitioners and technologists, experts, and thought leaders who care about the world of human resources, hiring, and employee engagement. And now, sit back and sip your next cup of talent management blended to perfection. Everybody, welcome to HR Latte. This is Rayanne Thorne Kruger, your host. I'm thrilled to be with you today as we continue our celebration of pride. I don't think that it's going to stop at the end of the month. I have had so many amazing conversations and I look forward to continuing my own personal learning and also sharing what I learned. I have a very special guest with me today. I've known Lisa for many, many years, but this has been our first opportunity to really have some good down and dirty conversations, so to speak. Let's just say so to speak. Lisa Rokusik, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. I'm excited about this conversation. Me too. Let's get into it. You know, it's been really interesting for me, somebody who I think is so liberal for myself and open and welcoming all the things that I have learned over the last several months that I've been studying diversity and in particular, a certain part of diversity that we don't talk about very much. And maybe you and I can get into it later, but belonging and understanding what belonging really means. But before we do that, I want to jump in and give you the opportunity to tell us who you are and what you do. So take it away. Awesome. I am a recruiter and have been a recruiter for more decades than I'm probably comfortable (laughs) owning up to. But I think of my business as sort of a laboratory for decision-making. I get to study how people make decisions. And in hiring, that is, you know, it's a high stakes thing because we are all working to create the lives that we want. And so actually learning to advocate both for the companies I represent and the candidates I represent both uh, really gives me a chance to put kind of my money where my mouth is when we talk about diversity and power and identity. But also it's fun to just learn about decision-making, you know, concretely. We talk about it a lot in abstract, but here, this is how we hire people. We decide. So that's kind of fun, but also challenging because I've encountered my own sort of biases and I have to work with those. and. I don't know. It's a blueprint for life. It's so important to recognize what might be happening within ourselves. You know, I started this conversation with how much I've learned, right? And I feel like I have, I've just become this sponge. In my last conversation with Steve Robbins, I told him, I wish that I could go back to school full time and get paid for it. I mean, that would be the ideal thing for me because I'm consistently learning things daily anyway. And it's not always easy to apply that with clients, with candidates, with folks that we're talking to daily, whether it's salespeople or a casual conversation on LinkedIn or in the grocery store even. So let's talk about your personal journey. You know, I've followed you and have been friends with you for years, Lisa. And one thing that I've noticed is that you are an incredible powerhouse and a spokesperson almost maybe unexpectedly for those that are in a place of inequality. And it has been fascinating to watch you, I don't want to say take people down a peg or two, but that's actually the a polite way to say it. I've watched you do this oh, and 
at the same time, do it in a way that stops individuals in their tracks and helps them to understand, okay, this is what I need to learn. Maybe I'm not as fully aware as I could be of what's happening. So let's talk about your journey and why you have this incredible passion for equality. Well, I would, I would even pause and I'd say, I'm not sure that equality is the thing. Well, it is, but we often use equality and what we should be striving for is equity. And yes. because equality can flatten and equality can eliminate difference. And what I'm about is appreciating difference. And I guess that really became a passion for me, or at least a highlighted focus in college when I was a philosophy major, of all things. <laughs> How did a philosophy major become a salesperson? Right. That's a journey. But Audre Lorde really helped me formulate that importance that we should value difference individually and collectively in a society. And I noticed when we don't do that, that's when we get into trouble. And then as a white lady feminist, I had to reckon with race because, you know, there's a lot of pushback about white lady feminists quoting Ish, Audre yeah. Lorde and not really, you know, internalizing those messages. And I had to sit and deal with that sort of uh, hip check. And that was early days on Twitter when I got to really, I mean, I, I was already doing anti-racism work, but it made it very, very, very intense to do that kind of introspection and look at how really white supremacy was part of me. And it was humbling. And then, you know, we had Ferguson Uprising and Michael Brown and Black Lives Matter. And right. these things really hit me integral, like really in my guts. And so that became a practice for me to say, hey, you need to open yourself to difference and listen to marginalized voices or folks that are more at risk than you are. Because not only is that a way of learning cognitive things, data that we need, it's also just a good way to keep yourself off your high horse, right? Yeah. Because there's always something new to learn. And as we continue to open to newness and difference, we have a choice. Are we going to collapse into defensive fragility or are we going to embrace difference as the best part of us where we can learn from each other? That was a long-winded sort of no, essay. No, I, I love that. it was helpful. No, very, very, very helpful. You know, you and I aren't so different. I'm a white lady <laughs> that I recognize my privilege. I do. But for a long time, when I was younger, as a single mom struggling and working so hard, I didn't see that I still had privilege even in that place. You know, I wasn't stuck in my head. My story covered my eyes. My own story covered my eyes to what is happening everywhere and has been happening everywhere. And as soon as I could take down those, take down that blindfold, right, of what I felt sorry for myself, look where I am. You know, I'm also not getting what I need. I'm a female and I'm single and I'm single mom and all these things that I put in front of me to be part of my story. When I took those away, all of a sudden it was, okay, what is my story? Right. When you remove the pain and then and we hang on to the pain. 
right? Because the pain helps us tell our story and is what makes us different from others. So I really appreciate what I've learned from you over the years. And yes, I can switch the language from equality to equity. I think that's really, really important. And thank you for sharing that. When you look at what's happened in the world when it comes to diversity, when it comes to addressing this, we seem to go through waves, right? Where it's like, it's so important, it's in the news, and then it goes back down, and then it comes back up, and it's so important. What do you think is has been the biggest win, and I would love to get your perspective on this, the biggest win in the last few decades for the Pride community, and then also for just diversity in general? What do you think has been the biggest win? Well, I think we're waking up to how our well-being is bound together. I think there have been some people who have always known that, but more and more people are starting to get it. And what that means to me as a queer woman, you know, I'm going to be 56 in October. So holy crap, how did I get this old? (laughs) But it's awesome. I don't mind. I'm still here. So that's a victory. Uh, But the, the thing is that there's more white people that are gay or trans or lesbian or whatever word we're going to use. I use queer as a, as a placeholder. That's how I grew up. And it means it's an inclusive umbrella of all the different ways of being uh, human sexuality and identity, okay. the mishmash and ever evolving. But we're also realizing that the fight to be accepted as human beings with, you know, rights, is linked to every other group's fight to be accepted as human beings with rights. And honestly, with the planet as a whole, our well-being is bound together. And that realization, like the ability for me to get married, that was a big deal. 2015 doesn't seem very long ago. No, it doesn't. That is a win. It's a win that may go away. Just like the right to vote for women and for Black people, and for people who are not straight white men, these rights that we have, we fight for them, we get them, we inevitably face a backlash as people who hoard power are threatened by the thought that everyone has a right to live and, and thrive and there's enough pie to go around for everybody. It is, uh, yeah. There are some people that don't believe that and so we clash. And so the biggest win is the rising of solidarity between all these disparate differences. And if we ever could get our act together and really stand together, we'd be unstoppable. We're still working on that because there's so much fighting in between the groups, right? But I, I am given so much hope by seeing folks really get that and stand in solidarity with each other. Yeah, it's so important. I love that word solidarity. I just think it's it is a blanket support of how can I help? I'm here. I need your help. You know, it's not just it's it is an inclusive term. And I, I love that about it. Looking at the same past and current, what do you think is the biggest threat that diversity faces today? The backlash, baby. The backlash. The backlash. The power grab. The And see, I have been beginning to talk about a a melange of supremacy. So white supremacy, male supremacy, cis supremacy. Yeah. You know, it's supremacy that's the problem. It isn't 
one supremacy is worse than another. It's all of them. It's the need to have that something that's better than others and the force of the state that can force that and remove rights from people. And so supremacy is the threat of all of its flavors. And it comes out in a lot of ways and it's uncomfortable. I live in Missouri and it's a hotbed of these issues. I'll just say that. Yeah. That's kind. And <laughs> one of the things that's very interesting is to see white Christian supremacy show up in places like schools where they're banning books like Tony Morrison's Blue Sky. Wow. Well, that's nuts. Right? That's not it is they, nice. they did reverse that. But that is a supremacy being enacted and it's dangerous. And we can say, no, see the answer to that is an appreciation of difference and an ethics of care. Like the goal is suffering reduction and mutual thriving because we can all thrive. That's the goal. And when you look at choices that we make. We should always be thinking about that as the measure. Does this action I'm taking increase thriving for all or just some at the expense of all or others? Or does this reduce suffering for the widest lens that we can create to understand? And that's a very practical application that can help guide our actions in the day to day. Yeah. That's so, so important. I'm just, my head is spinning listening to, to what you're sharing. When you think about your work, so let's talk about as a recruiter, there's been so much talk about diversity for years now, right? About inclusion, about DEI. When you think about your work as a recruiter, are you seeing a change? Are you witnessing, you know, this is the beginning of the employee life cycle, this very you know, this very beginning <laughs> of the employee life cycle. And are you seeing, have, have you noticed change over the years? I have. I oh, have. That's good it, news. It does. It makes me feel better that some of my clients actually reach out to me because I am kind of an outspoken loudmouth uh, <laughs> about these issues. And they're like, we need to do better. Perhaps you would be a great recruiter oh, to good. help us. And as a third-party agency recruiter, I'm dealing with specific roles. And they say, please help us fill this job. And I can then say, well, why are you making this assumption? Why do you think you needed a degree? Why are you using these frameworks to judge whether a candidate is qualified when that's not really what the job's about? And we can have those conversations, which is really helpful. Because ultimately, it is each of us personally, what we have to do is train our minds to open to difference that maybe a profile of a candidate that we're looking to hire might look a little different than we thought. Perhaps we can be more expansive with our definition or what, you know, the tools that we require. That's the nuts and bolts of hiring. and, And we make all kinds of goofy assumptions about what the right candidate would look like. And I like to really punch back at some of those. And I try to be gentle. But like you say, I'm sometimes not as gentle as I could be. But with clients, I'm real gentle because they're paying me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. 
But isn't it good to see that people are open to that? Yes, yes. And I do feel like things are improving even during the backlash. Yes, it's so important. And when when we think about growth and change and the future, when you talk to other members of the community, whether they're a diverse candidate in one way or another, or your friends that you see regularly, do they ask you for advice? Are you offering advice on what's the best way to move forward in a corporate or a business situation? Yeah, I get a lot of questions, job search questions, and also uh, power and identity questions in business. And I always remind people, I might not be the best person to coach you on how to play ball within a corporate setting because right. I tapped out of that a long time ago. Right. And I am, you know, I'm an out, a perpetual outsider. But the fundamentals apply. We have to, each of us, wrestle with how we deal with difference and also how we, I don't want to say excuse, but when we're confronted with things that are jarring or difficult or you know, someone says something that they don't know is hurtful or harmful. We, we develop the capacity whenever possible to assist other people growth. I think that's a great thing to do if you have the capacity, if you have the bandwidth. Right. And that's how change can happen in those settings. But I fully respect that a lot of people, and I'm one of them, I couldn't do it inside the trenches. It was too much. I had, who knows why, less less patience, less uh, elasticity. Yeah. Maybe, you know, I, I get too cranky at people that are like, I wonder if they're being willfully harmful and I get mad. But doing that whenever we can is the only way that we'll be able to move forward. But also at the same time, we have to take care of ourselves and not burn ourselves out by being in those trenches when it's harmful. Yeah, I was so going to say, a, it, it, can, line. it can be so crushing. Even it when I be. think about my personal experience being a, a female leader and feeling that pressure and to please everyone, to let go of things that were said that were inappropriate, to not make a big deal out of other things. I mean, there's, there's, I can cite a dozen times when go I, along to get along. That's baby, right, right. That's right. And uh, boys, the whole boys will uh. be boys. That part too, you know, of all of that. And that, and it can go way back to when I was in junior high. I mean, I can cite things oh. that happened in junior high, and that was a long time ago. I'm older than you, so Man. it was a long time yes. ago, it's, right? No, it is. These are formative things. Yeah. Formative things. Like I grew up with those messages, and my mom was awesome. Like she was this trailblazer. But sometimes she taught me, and we talk about this now, you know, put up with certain yeah, things. Just put up with it. Yeah. To get through. Or sometimes you're gonna throw a right hook, but boy, make that choice. Be careful. It'll cost you. Yeah. Sometimes. Know the cost. And those are, you know, I'm kind of really happy to look at some of these 20 year olds that are like, oh, no, we're, no, we're not. I love it. That. Yeah, I love it. I, I love that they're, I'm like, I, yes. Where were you 40 years ago? I mean, I could have, I could have used it 40 years ago, you know. We couldn't do it 40 years I ago. I know. You know? know, it wasn't possible. The people that did it paid a, paid a price. They did. A they bigger did. price. Yeah. yeah. So, you know what that does to us now? What, how that challenges us now? We, 
have to stand in solidarity with absolutely the youthful voices that are saying enough is enough. And that is often a challenge to us because, hey, maybe trans people make us uncomfortable, right? Like, well, I don't understand that. What is that? What are pronouns? Yeah. Yeah. How often do we hear this in HR? All the time. Like, You're in HR. Ew. Oh, my God. Like, treat people as people. And so we can learn from these folks, but also we have to support them. And, and also sometimes take the heat. Take, you know, let the jerky jackass people, let them come for me instead of a more vulnerable voice. And I'll shut it down. Yeah. Because I'm also perpetually learning. Like none of us are done waking up and discovering the difference that we have to protect and value. You know, that's been the greatest thing about aging for me is some point upon along the way. I mean, I can remember maybe 20 years ago, I thought I know everything. I know everything. And then 20 years before that, I know everything. You know, when you're 18, you think you know everything. But I love knowing that I don't know everything. And every day is an opportunity to learn something new about somebody or about myself. And that is the best thing. It is the best thing. And I think the major thing that's missing is curiosity. People with this, they stop wondering. They stop being curious because they feel like they know all they need to know. That is a a battle. It's a, a lifelong battle for many people. And for me, it was so freeing to say, today is a lesson. Today is a lesson and I'm going to learn and I don't know everything. How, I mean, there's so much tension in saying, I, you're wrong, you're wrong. I know what I think is right and how I feel is right. And my version of the world is the only right version of the world. And it's so freeing to let go of that tension, right? And you, you talk about tension and I want, I want to talk about that when we, when we think about you know, the advice that you give to people that are either job seekers or come to you as a friend or a colleague and they want to want your assistance. When leaders are thinking about, you know, they've come to you and said, Lisa, you can help us. You've got experience. You've got knowledge that we need. And I know that you talk about this tension, this space. And I, and I can remember one of one of my mentors, Dr. Hal Simroth, taught me about imagine this, you are attached to a rubber band and you know, 10 feet from you, that rubber band is stretched to the place that you want to get to. And there's tension there, right? And there's so much tension and that rubber band is pulling you to that place. If you pull back, you're never going to get to that place. So you have to follow that lead of, I'm going to let go and I'm going to learn and I'm going to move forward. I'm going to move forward in what my understanding is and I'm going to change. I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn. And you talk about this. Tell me a little bit more about the space between that that gap, the stimulus and the response? Well, I think it is the way our minds often work is that something hits us and we have a visceral response. It can be mental, it can be an idea, or it can be emotional, it can be a feeling. It's often a blend of those things. And we can unpack and train ourselves to be able to pause. And one of the things that, gosh, it's decades and decades. I mean, it feels like I've been formally training my mind for probably 30 plus years to develop that. And I, my, my path kind of tends toward Buddhist. I, I joke and I say I'm a half-assed Buddhist, but the (laughs) truth is it's not half-assed. I'm very serious. It's, 
kept me alive all these years. And understanding the patterns of our brains, the stories we tell ourselves, the way we react to stimulus, all of that is informed by our experiences in the past. And the more self-awareness we can cultivate, the more we can insert a pause between somebody poking us and that right hook that is just a reaction. We just want to throw that punch and smack them in the face. I mean, that may be a little more violent than most of your <laughs> listeners, but I have a temper. Yeah. And when someone checks me, I want to react. And sure. I've learned that we can mentally pause and choose the response that's going to fit with our, our frame of ethics, our goals of suffering reduction, our hope for mutual thriving. And that is honestly the only way we're going to build a world where we can appreciate difference. And that's a, it's a mental practice and it can accomplish, you know, a lot of things can do it. it. It doesn't have to be wrapped up in religion or psychology. It can just be learning to know when you're getting revved up and that maybe you may need to take some deep breaths. That can be very helpful, but it's an important thing. And it's an interesting thing in how it affects our day-to-day life as we do business and live with each other because we're always getting on each other's nerves. That's yeah. life. But yeah, for sure. And, you know, one thing I want to ask you about before we close is, and I really value what you have shared in the last year in particular, but over the years, is our parents, you know, the journey that we're on in our relationship with our parents. And I, like you, have had struggles with mom. And I would love for you to share what has been the key for you to get to this place where you are now, where where the relationship is good, where, you know, you you are valuing that. Because I'm, I'm still struggling. I'm still struggling with that. I feel like, you know, I wanted to be better prepared. I wanted to be stronger. I wanted to be strong like her, but I don't feel I was given the tools to be as strong as my mom was. And at the same time, you know, sometimes she's too strong, you know, and that keeps you from feeling and, and having more heart in your life, more love and more heart in your life. So, what has been the secret or the turning? What was the what was the change for you? Because I know that you've undergone change over the years in that relationship. Sure. Well, my mom always was this super formative person, kind of a, a role model. But then I began to unpack and look at really what, like she would not claim the word feminist when I was growing up. Yeah. She totally was a feminist. Oh my God. And when I <laughs> fell into feminist theory and feminist philosophy in college, she was like, uh-oh, what? don't get too weird. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to get as weird as I can, mom. And actually, this isn't unrelated to you and the model that you've been on. I mean, she was the first female principal in Quincy, Illinois. Holy mm. crap. The things she dealt with, yeah, like a lot. So I'm like, but there may be better ways, better models than the things that I mean, she didn't have all the tools I have because sometimes we do learn and grow. But what's interesting is what really solidified in the relationship with my mother, while always good-ish, there were tensions. You know, it wasn't easy to come out as a queer kid. My family didn't kick me out, though. They they just put their arms around me and refused to let go, even when I was like, maybe I want to like run away. Y'all are weird. (laughs) Uh, But they were like, no, we love you but we're really confused. Right. What I learned to do was see her as a person. The same tools that I'm learning to use 
with people that get on my nerves or dudes that do what dudes often do. Yeah. Not all dudes, I know, but we know better than to say not all because that's a defensive tell, isn't yep. it? Yep. You know, I look at her and I see her as a person with her own history of struggles and trauma and formative things that shaped her. And interestingly, I lose any anger I might have had over things that I grew up with or messages she sent or things she said that still resonate in my head that hurt me, right? Because yeah. we all have that in yep. our family. Yep. And strangely, that's exactly the thing that I can do with people that that are refusing to get on the bus of appreciating difference. And I can resist the urge to dehumanize those people. I can insist on seeing them as people, doing for them what they refuse to do for me. That doesn't mean I excuse dangerous behavior. That doesn't mean I don't stop dangerous behavior. But it might mean that I can still see them as people and give them an on-ramp to being better and doing better. And I, I think that's interesting that I'm learning to use those same tools with my family. Yeah. Really hard lesson. But in our society right now, we've got a lot of opportunity to do that. And I want to be really clear. It's not that we're excusing bad behavior or letting it be there, but we don't have to dehumanize the people to protect those who are vulnerable to them or to stop behaviors. We can still see them as humans. In fact, I think we have to. Yeah. To be true to our own ethics. And that's the hard thing, right? It's hard to be that rounded, to really recognize that if you believe this, then you have to support this. You know, you have to, you have to give people a chance. You have to. That's, that's another tension. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Thank you so much. Well, I just want to thank you so much for spending this, you know, short half hour with me. I would love to ask you if you have any resources that you'd like to share. One of the things that I, that help me to continue my learning and my listeners is, you know, if you have anything, a book, an article, a podcast, a movie, a documentary, anything that you can think of that you can share that might continue our own personal progress to opening our minds and finding that world of equity. I always send people to Bell Hooks. Bell Hooks, does she have a lot to say? It was very sad that we lost her this year. Yeah. Will to change is a book about toxic masculinity, but it is an excellent on-ramp to a really holistic approach to changing the patterns and behaviors that we all have within us. She's just awesome. There's not a doggone thing you can read by her that will not rock your world and change your life. And she's really accessible. I also, there's a Mona Eltaway who wrote the seven necessary sins for women and girls. Oh. And you can find her blog, Feminist Giant. She is a fantastic voice and a perfect antidote to white feminism, which is white ladies forgetting that we can be a harmful force. Right. Right. Like we forget that because we struggle so hard to live ourselves. We get caught in our own struggle. But it's good to remember that we're, you know, there's lots of difference out there and we can be a force for good. Um, so those are two of my faves. 
I love that. Thank you so much. I, I'm definitely going to check out Feminist Giant. I sat right up my alley. <laughs> She's the bomb. Oh, good. I can't wait. I can't wait. So if any listeners want to reach out to you, Lisa, what's the best way? You can text me. My phone number is all over the internet. Okay. 314-409-5633. You can find me on Twitter, Lisa Rokusik. I have a blog that I rarely write in, but I do sometimes, lisarokusik.com. And my business website is rokusikrecruits.com. So great. I'm always happy to talk. This stuff is my jam. Oh, man. I am so thankful that you said yes when I reached out. I really appreciate you sharing your experience, your perspective, your knowledge. And I know that you are somebody that would be in that classroom with me, that you know, oh, this is a yeah. perpetual Absolutely. experience. Life is a classroom and we need to continually be learning. And maybe someday we'll get the A and graduate, but I, I'm not ready yet. And I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. I don't think we should stop learning. We I gotta agree. Keep going. Got to Got to keep from calcifying. That's so, right. Right on. Thank you for asking me. Thank I'm you really so much. I'm really appreciative to get a chance to talk with you. So great. Thanks again, Lisa. Thanks for listening to this episode of HR Latte. This podcast is brought to you by Never Enough Media and is produced by host Rayanne Thorne Kruger. Our editor is Igor Kuzmanovsky and Dick Delecki as our announcer. With featured music, Grab a Coffee and Go by Tiny Music. Special thanks to those who have made HR Latte possible over the years with their ideas, support, and feedback. 